the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Yes, 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 Billy Joel. You know, I asked Sean a few moments ago, you got Billy Joel coming up? And he said, don't ruin the surprise. Hi, everyone. My name is Julie Hartman. I am 23 years old. I am the host of Dennis and Julie with, well, I should say I'm the co-host of Dennis and Julie with a guy you may have heard of named Dennis Prager, who is actually in Munich right now. This is the first vacation that our dear Dennis has taken in, I think he said, 25 years years. He's actually going in typical Dennis fashion to see an audio equipment show. Those of you who listen to Dennis and Julie know that Dennis and I have a lot in common, but I will admit this is something, an interest that we do not share. That's just to say I am the co-host of Dennis and Julie, which you should all check out. It airs every Monday on my YouTube show, which is uh, the, or my YouTube channel, I should say, which is the Julie Hartman YouTube channel. And then my YouTube show is called Timeless with Julie Hartman. I segment that into a news segment, which is called Julie Noted, where I talk about the newsy, important stories of the day. And then I do a separate segment called Timeless, where I talk about timeless, eternal subjects that don't have to do with the news and most of the time don't have to do with politics. Today, we're going to do this show as two hours of news, and then the third hour, I'm going to do a history hour on China, as Donald Trump would say, because China is one of our biggest adversaries, probably the biggest threat right now facing the United States, though according to our president, Joe Biden, the biggest threat facing the United States is white supremacy. That's what he said uh, just a few days ago when he was giving the commencement address at Howard University, which is a historically black college and university. To start off the show today, I want to acknowledge that in the past week, we have seen three major political scandals. The first one is this IRS scandal that has emerged. Uh, it's actually the most, most recent of the three, that our Attorney General Merrick Garland has officially called off the IRS's investigation of Hunter Biden, the first son, son of President Joe Biden, who is being investigated for tax fraud. This came after a whistleblower inside the IRS went to Congress and said that he was under political pressure to make this Hunter Biden tax fraud case go away. Once this whistleblower went to Congress, poof, all of a sudden Merrick Garland calls off the IRS's investigation of the first son. Coincidence? I think not. 
That's the most recent of the scandals of the past seven days. The second most recent, which was a long time ago, just came out about three days ago, is this Durham report. John Durham is a special counsel who was appointed by Bill Barr, who was the attorney general under President Trump, to investigate government wrongdoings. That is what John Durham has been doing for the past few years. And he issued a report that shows that the FBI played a large role in the Russian collusion hoax. Back in 2016 and 2017, we all remember that the Clinton campaign and the Democrats accused President Donald Trump of colluding with Russia to win the election in 2016. Now, we all all thought that this was just coming from the left, But it turns out that the FBI knew that some of the sources, such as the Steele dossier, were phony, and they were actually pursuing this Russian collusion hoax, knowing that it probably wasn't true. So that's scandal number two. Scandal number three, an extra long time ago this one came out, five days ago. The Biden family was found to have had 20, actually over 20, shell companies. These were LLCs that were founded during Vice President Joe Biden's tenure as VP under the Obama administration. These LLCs were run by his, guess who, first son, Hunter Biden, and some of Hunter Biden's business associates. And essentially, they were just fronts. They were looking like they were real companies doing real business, but in actuality, they were just, uh, again, shell companies that were fronts in order for the Biden administration to get money from foreign entities such as Chinese businessmen and Romanian businessmen. Now, you may think, well, what's the problem with that? Well, Chinese businessmen specifically are always, and I mean always, tied with the CCP. It is impossible to run a company in China without CCP surveillance and backing. So if the first son is getting bought off by foreign nationals, by our adversaries, indeed, uh, foreign nationals, what does that say about the, the vice president? What does that say about Joe Biden? And we know from this scandal that came out that a lot of the money that was received through these 20 Biden shell companies actually went to members of the the Biden family. They were pocketed by Hunter Biden himself, the brother of Joe Biden, James Biden, the widow of Beau Biden, Haley Biden, as well as many of the Biden granddaughters. This is pretty astonishing. Think about this. In the past seven days... We in the United States have had the equivalent of a Pentagon Papers bombshell, Watergate, I'm trying to think of a third one, a Teapot Dome scandal. That was under President Warren Harding. It was when his Secretary of Interior was was doing uh, phony business deals. Those are actually three pretty apt uh, political scandal analogies. They all deal with federal entity corruption, presidential corruption, political corruption. We have basically had a Pentagon Papers, Watergate, and Teapot Dome scandal in the past seven days. And the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, they're yawning. They're not even reporting on it. 
Isn't that astonishing? And by the way, I'm going to be honest here. I think that many of us, by us I mean conservatives, I'm assuming most of the people listening to me right now are, are conservatives, and we, we know about these scandals, or at least these have been on our radar for some time now. We have even sort of lost our ability to react appropriately to these scandals. We are not getting as angry as we should be getting. Think about that. We basically found out that our Attorney General Merrick Garland is suppressing an IRS investigation of Hunter Biden, that the FBI is corrupt and tried to kick our former president out of office, and that our current president is being bought off by our adversaries. And we are all just sort of taking it like it's normal. It's an interesting thing to think about because... It sort of makes sense, given the amount of lies that have been funneled and pummeled at the American people over the past four or five years. Almost every day, we are presented with another falsity. And this sort of has a way of atrophying our appropriate reactions to such deceit. Let me go through some examples of these lies that, as I say, have been funneled and pummeled at us over the past five years. Donald Trump colluded with Russia. That was a lie. Donald Trump somehow supported Klansmen, the KKK in Charlottesville, Virginia. President Joe Biden repeated this lie at his Howard University commencement address. He he repeated this lie that Donald Trump called the, the KKK fine people during that Charlottesville rally. Another lie. Remember when we were all told that COVID came from a bat at a wet market in China? People who who even dared to speculate that it might have leaked from a lab were kicked off of social media platforms, were called conspiracy theorists, and then, oh, well, turned out to be right. Then when it came out that COVID actually did come from a lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and not from a wet market— Anthony Fauci and other top officials continued to lie to the American people that American taxpayer money was not funding this lab. It turns out that it was. American taxpayer money was being uh, used to fund the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health, and the National Institute of Health was funding gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab of virology. Another lie. How about the lie that masks work? Vaccines have no downsides. Hydroxychloroquine is not effective against COVID-19. Nothing shady happened in the 2020 election. Shall I go on? We were lied to that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinfo. Turns out it was totally true. We are lied to on a daily basis that President Biden is totally, totally mentally fit to uh, serve in the office, even though he introduced his daughter, Ashley, as his late son, Beau Biden. This is a clip that has been suppressed thanks to the mainstream media, but this did happen. When we are being bombarded with so much deceit, no wonder we keep accepting it and we don't react appropriately. More on this in the next segment. I'm Julie Hartman. This is The Dennis Prager Show. Natural disasters, airline cancellations and runway near misses, supply chain issues, inflation, rising interest rates, and sky-high government debt. This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. 
there's a lot in the news about what consumers cannot control. So let's talk about what you can control. You can control how you choose to invest and protect your wealth. That's why I choose to do business with Nick Grovich and his company, AmFed Coin and Bullion. Now is a great time to own tangible assets like gold, silver, and platinum. With over 41 years experience and tens of thousands of satisfied clients, Nick will help you make informed decisions and show you smart choices, which have been proven winners time and time again. Amfed Coin and Bullion will sell you the right types of precious metals to get the maximum value for your money. Take control of your investments like I did. Call Nick and his team at Amfed Coin and Bullion at 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. It is the second segment of the first hour. I open the show by acknowledging that over the past week, three major political scandals have emerged. That our Attorney General Merrick Garland has officially ended the IRS's investigation into the first son, Hunter Biden's tax fraud or supposed tax fraud. Number two, the Durham report, which exposed that the FBI was an accomplice in the phony Russian collusion hoax against our President Donald Trump. And then number three, that our President Joe Biden apparently has a very corrupt family. Twenty shell companies were created during his time as vice president, which were used by uh, then Vice President Biden and his family members to rake in money from our foreign adversaries. And I was arguing that our ability to react appropriately to this kind of deceit, to this kind of corruption, has really atrophied because we have been pummeled with lies over the past few years. And when it's raining every day, as people in Seattle probably know, you're no longer shocked that it's raining. In other words, we're no longer surprised when something like this comes out, when we really should be outraged. I want to say a final thing about that before I move on to get into the specifics of of this IRS scandal we're going to start off with. Do you all remember last year, there were these climate change activists in Paris and London and other places in Europe that went into museums and threw paint and mashed potatoes at Rembrandts and Monet's and other famous paintings. And they argued that this was their idea of resistance and subversion it was an appropriate protest to uh, counter a negligence they saw on the part of our leaders in dealing effectively with the existential threats supposedly posed by climate change. They were, they were ruining these paintings, throwing mashed potatoes at them. I watched that video of this happening. And you know the creepy thing about that video? It wasn't so much these crazies throwing the paint and the mashed potatoes at the painting. Certainly that was unnerving and unsettling. But what was arguably worse was looking around at the other museum goers who were just walking about the museum like nothing was happening. They weren't paying attention. They weren't gasping. They weren't trying to stop these sick people. They just sort of acted like, eh, this happens all the time, just another day at the museum. There is no better proof of my argument that we have lost our sense to react appropriately to things than that. I'll give you a final example. When I was a senior at Harvard, I wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal called Harvard Students Are COVID Sheep. I talked about how, although we lost a year and a half of on-campus experience at Harvard, I was sent home in the middle of my sophomore year. I didn't come back in person until my senior year. 
I wrote that although we lost a year and a half when we came back to campus, Harvard continued with these irrational, bureaucratic COVID restrictions. And the, the, the operating word here is that it was irrational. I mean, when we went into the dining hall, we would have to wear a mask in order uh, to get our food. But then once we sat down at the tables, we were able to take off our masks and eat it. As if COVID just lives in the place where the food is getting served, but not in the dining hall. We had to wear masks on treadmills in the gym. We weren't allowed to have gatherings of more than 10 people in our rooms. It was really restrictive. But what I argued in that Wall Street Journal article is that the, the, the thing that was worse than the irrational COVID restrictions was the zombie-like acquiescence of the student body. All of us knew that it was irrational. How, how could you not think that, that wearing a mask to get food and then taking it off when you sit down isn't irrational? We all knew that this wasn't right. But still, people just followed along with it as if it was normal. And what I tried to do was alert people to this sense, indeed, it just sort of turned into the theme of this hour, that we've lost the ability to react appropriately. So my question is, if we aren't reacting appropriately to the corruption and the injustices and the deceit now, what are we going to swallow going forward? When does it end? When are we finally, we the American people, going to go enough? This is too much. Let's go to some specifics here. I really want to tell you about this, this IRS investigation being called off. This is the most recent of the political scandals that has emerged, and that is, it emerged two days ago instead of three days ago. There was an IRS investigative team that was looking into Hunter Biden for supposedly committing tax evasion on millions of dollars in allegedly foreign sourced income. By the way, another lie that was funneled at us was that Hunter Biden was not being investigated by the government for tax evasion. After President Biden secured a victory in November of 2020, in December, the Biden campaign announced that Hunter Biden was being investigated. So the IRS has been investigating him for three years now. And about a week ago, a whistleblower, an unnamed IRS agent, went to Congress and told James Comer, who was heading the committee, a Republican, that he, i.e. the whistleblower, was being subjected to political pressure to drag his feet or not move ahead aggressively with the Hunter Biden investigation. Just a few days after this whistleblower, the anonymous whistleblower, told James Comer about this political persecution, our Attorney General Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice suddenly called off the IRS investigation. They ordered the IRS to stop looking in to Hunter Biden. Now, Merrick Garland isn't the boss of the IRS. The IRS is under the Treasury Department. But since whatever the IRS agents would have found about Hunter Biden would have been prosecuted by the Department of Justice, then Merrick Garland is functionally the boss of the IRS. So he disbanded this team. The lawyers for this whistleblower said, this was yesterday, they released a statement that said, Today, the IRS criminal supervisory special agent we represent was informed that he and his entire investigative team are being removed from the ongoing and sensitive information of the high-profile controversial subject, i.e. Hunter Biden, about which our client sought to make whistleblower disclosures to Congress. 
He was informed that the change was at the request of the Department of Justice. Apparently, one of the informants that this uh, whistleblower was working with has physically gone missing, i.e. He, he literally cannot be found. and No one in the world knows where he is. What's really unnerving about this situation is that the Department of Justice isn't providing a reason as to why they are calling off this IRS investigation. It appears that they are trying to make it clear that they have power over us, that if they don't like a whistleblower exposing political pressure, then they have the power to call off an investigation and strangle the truth. It's a really sinister thing. They're not even trying to cover up their agenda. They are being open with it. More on this IRS investigation as well as the Durham report in the next segment. I'm Julie Hartman. This is The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everyone. I'm Julie Hartman. I am the co-host of the Dennis and Julie podcast as well as the host of Timeless with Julie Hartman. You can check out both of those shows on my YouTube channel, which is the Julie Hartman YouTube channel. Very creative name that you can just type into YouTube and find. We are talking about the political scandals that have emerged over the past week. We've had basically a Pentagon Papers, a Watergate, and a Teapot Dome scandal, which, trust me, was a big scandal, (laughs) even if you may not know what it is. We've had basically three of those over the past seven days. In the last segment, I was talking about our Attorney General Merrick Garland calling off the IRS's investigation of Hunter Biden after a whistleblower inside the IRS decided to go to Congress and talk about the political pressure he was facing to make that investigation go away. Now I want to turn to the Durham report, which was released a few days ago, with regard to the FBI's collusion in the Russian collusion hoax. The FBI is supposed to be an independent entity that looks into conflicts without any kind of bias. Turns out that is not true at all, but we have sort of known that that isn't true because of what has come out about the Twitter files a few months ago that the FBI was colluding with Twitter to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story, that the FBI paid $3.4 million to Twitter in 2020 in a mysterious payment we don't really know why they did that, but but it's not news to to conservatives that these supposed uh, unbiased government entities are indeed biased. But nevertheless, John Durham has confirmed what we already knew. John Durham is a special counsel that was appointed by Trump's attorney general, Bill Barr, to pursue allegations of government wrongdoing. And he found through 480 interviews, 6 million pages of documents, and 190 subpoenas that the FBI was colluding with the left, with the Clinton campaign, in order to pursue this investigation of of Donald Trump that he was supposedly colluding with the Russians in order to win the 2016 election. And the FBI knew all along that it was false. Let's go into some of these things that John Durham found. First, he found that the FBI pursued a vague tip about a Trump campaign aide's supposed contact with Russian authorities in 2016. Durham concludes that there was not, quote, any actual evidence of collusion. And actually, he found that some FBI agents actually complained to their superiors about thin evidence 
and about how they were not uh, following standard analytical tools that are usually at the disposal of FBI agents. So, so a lot of FBI agents actually sort of waved the red flag, but the higher-ups ignored it and nevertheless pursued this phony investigation. Durham also found that the FBI was overly reliant on investigative leads from Trump's political opponents, that they scrutinized allegations about foreign meddling with regard to Trump in a much higher fashion that they did than they did with regard to Hillary Clinton. Apparently, there were some concerns and some credible tips that foreign governments were attempting to influence the 2016 election in favor of Hillary Clinton by donating to the Clinton Foundation. What Durham found is that the FBI actually ignored this in order to pursue the phony investigation into Donald Trump. Again, an anonymous FBI agent in one of the subpoenas told John Durham that, quote, they were tiptoeing around Hillary Clinton because there was a chance that she would be the next president. The FBI had, quote, a clear predisposition to investigate Trump based on, quote, prejudice against Trump and pronounced hostile feelings. Finally, Durham reported that the FBI suffered from confirmation bias, quote, it discounted or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between Trump and Russia. I want to pursue this point I just said offhandedly a few minutes ago. This isn't shocking to half of the country. President Obama, of all people, actually observed this in an interview recently. Someone asked him, what is the most concerning thing to you about the state of the United States? And he said, we are calcifying into two countries with two different realities. Readers of the New York Times, as you will find out in the next segment, I'm going to read to you the New York Times coverage of this. Readers of the New York Times would not have any idea about the FBI's corruption. Meanwhile, listeners of the Dennis Prager show have known about it for at least two years. More when we return. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free offer with promo code Prager. MyPillow 2.0 temperature-regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listeners Square to the buy one, get one free offer. Enter promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Hey everyone, it's Julie Hartman. This is the second hour of the Dennis Prager Show. I am the co-host of the Dennis and Julie podcast, which airs every Monday on my YouTube channel, which is aptly named the Julie Hartman YouTube channel. I am also the host of Timeless with Julie Hartman. 
which I segment into a news segment and then a non-news segment. The news segment is called Julie Noted. I inform you on the most important news stories of the day. And then I do a separate, separate excuse me, segment called Timeless, where I talk about timeless, eternal subjects. I recently did an episode on Machiavelli, Niccolo Machiavelli, the Italian thinker from the 16th century. I asked the question, does he deserve the term that has come to characterize his, his name? That is, it was Machiavelli really Machiavellian or ruthless? You should watch that episode. Spoiler alert, I don't think so. I like Machiavelli a lot. I also have done uh, shows on Islam, Islam 101, Islam 101 Part 2. I've done shows on the story of language, which Dennis and I talk about on, on Dennis and Julie. Anyway, check those things out on the Julie Hartman YouTube channel. The L.A. Dodgers here in my hometown of L.A., where we do this show out of the L.A. Dodgers, are going to honor a drag group that mocks Catholics next month. This is a news story that was reported first by the Daily Wire and then the New York Post. The L.A. Dodgers are partnering with L.A. Pride. For those who don't know that June is Pride Month, you are a bigot and a homophobe and a transphobe. But yes, June is Pride Month. So the L.A. Dodgers are partnering with L.A. Pride to present the Community Hero Award to the Los Angeles chapter of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. As aforementioned, this is a drag queen group that is anti-Catholic, and it actually seeks to mock Catholics. 18Prager776, 18Prager776. We have a lot to talk about with regard to this story. This will happen, this this Community Hero Award will be presented during the L.A. Dodgers Pride Night, which will take place during a home game on June 16th. I think it is Grace Curley. She is a, a host in Boston, a great host. I think it is her show that does a segment called Woke or Joke, where she reads aloud crazy things, and then she asks callers to call in and wonder if this is a woke or joke. The thing about wokeism, it's, it's a really good idea for a segment. The thing about wokeism is that it is so absurd that you think that someone is joking. I wish this were a joke, but it is not a joke. Let me tell you a little bit about this Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence drag queen group. They have a ministry. They go, uh, they name their their uh, sisters, I guess, is what you would call them. They call them uh, names such as Sister Taint a Virgin, Sister Risque of the Sissy Teen Chapel, and Sister Edith My Flesh. They have nun induction ceremonies where they put certain drag queens through quote-unquote nun training and then uh, anoint them. I guess this is according to to their website, anoint them as, as nuns. And the motto of the group is go forth and sin some more. This is not a joke. This is woke. On Easter of this year, just about six weeks ago, the group put on a Jesus and Mary-themed striptease that involved a performer writhing upside down on a large wooden cross. This is according to the San Francisco Chronicle. They also had a competition where shirtless men, this is interesting that they call them shirtless men because aren't drag queens supposedly women, where shirtless men competed to be crowned the hunkiest Jesus. 
In 2007, this group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, tricked the Archbishop of San Francisco into giving them the Eucharist so that they could defile it. L.A. Pride has released a statement with regard to to this ceremony. Again, the, the Dodgers are presenting this awful drag queen group that mocks Catholics with a Community Hero Award. The L.A. Pride said in a statement, Dodgers co-owners and LGBTQ plus legends, Billie Jean King in and Ileana, is that her name? Ileana? Ilana? I don't follow the Dodgers. Ilana Kloss will honor multiple activists and organizations throughout the night. That's according to LA Pride. Several Catholics, Catholic groups, Catholic priests, and everyday Catholic citizens have come out against this in the strongest of terms. The Catholic League president, Bill Donahue, wrote a letter to the Major League Baseball Commissioner, Rob Manfred, and called the group, quote, an obscene anti-Catholic group. Allow me to read an excerpt from his letter. In 1947, Catholic League President Bill Donahue writes, the Brooklyn Dodgers made history by naming Jackie Robinson to its roster. He was the first black man to play Major League Baseball. Now it is in the business of promoting bigotry, not fighting it. By rewarding anti-Catholicism, the Dodgers have broken bread with the most despicable elements in America today. I have said this on this show several times before, and every single time I get hate mail for it. Conservatives, specifically white religious Christians, are the most discriminated against group in the United States today. There is no doubt about it. Has that always been true? Of course not. But today, in 2023, conservatives are the most discriminated against group. Since May of 2020, this is according to the Daily Wire, which is citing it from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Since May of 2020, there have been at least 255 anti-Catholic attacks on Catholic churches. These include arson, statues being beheaded or otherwise vandalized, and gravestones defaced with swastikas and anti-Catholic language. I mentioned in the last hour that according to the FBI, there were two, I repeat, two hate crimes against transgenders in the year 2021. Also, in 2019, the year before the anti-police riots in 2020, 12 unarmed blacks were killed by police in that entire year. But here we have 255 anti-Catholic attacks since May of 2020, and people continue to deny that religious conservatives are the most discriminated against group in the country. Allow me to provide some other examples. Do we recognize the name Mark Hauk? He is a pro-life father who prayed in front of an abortion clinic and was uh, apparently defying a federal law which says that you cannot uh, pray in front of an abortion clinic or, or trespass on that property. And a few days after that incident, a SWAT team of about 25 heavily armed FBI agents showed up to his home where, his, where he, his wife, and his seven children live and arrested Mark Houck. Did that offense, praying in front of an abortion clinic, really warrant that level of response from the FBI? Of course not. But as Mark Houck recently said in a really moving testimony before the U.S. Congress, he said that the FBI was trying to intimidate pro-life America, and that is exactly right. 
A recent memo was leaked by an FBI whistleblower who I had the honor of interviewing on my show, Timeless, Kyle Serafin. A FBI internal memo was leaked which called Catholics violent extremists in the United States. So in these uh, upper echelons of our government, in these supposedly impartial, unbiased groups, Catholic Americans are being labeled as violent extremists. I will go on giving more examples about the persecution of the religious in the United States. President Obama, under his term, got rid of faith-based adoption centers, saying that it was not right for parents to be able to inculcate these faith or religious-based values into the children that they are adopting. That makes no sense because anyone that adopts a child has a right to raise that child however they want. So why is President Obama going after faith-based adoption centers? It appears that there is anti-religious animus. And to give a final example, we all remember that football coach in the state of Washington, Joseph Kennedy, who was fired from his school for the grave offense of praying during a football game. Thankfully, the conservative-leaning U.S. Supreme Court ruled in his favor and in favor of religious rights protected by the First Amendment. My dear Dennis Prager, my dear friend and the man for whom I am guest hosting today, says, everything the left touches, it ruins. This Dodgers example is exactly right. Can't they not woke eyes one area of society? Can we just leave something off limits for the woke onslaught? That used to be sports. Sports used to be the arena where merit triumphs, where wokeism isn't allowed. Not anymore. We'll be back. More on this story. 1-8 Prager 776. I'm Julie Hartman. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. We are discussing this despicable Community Hero Award that is given by the L.A. Dodgers to this anti-Catholic drag queen group that is called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They are incredibly, incredibly disrespectful to Catholic Americans, which have been branded by the FBI, according to a leaked internal memo, as violent extremists. I argued in the last segment that conservatives, specifically religious conservatives, are currently the most discriminated against group in the United States. There is no other group that can be so easily publicly mocked and disrespected as white, conservative, faith-based 
Christians specifically. Can you imagine for a moment if this drag queen group was mocking Islam and they called themselves sisters against the five pillars of faith? Can you imagine what that would do? We remember back in 2006, uh, a Danish newspaper published cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, and one of them was uh, one of the cartoons depicted the Prophet Muhammad as having a bomb detonating on his head. Of course, it was a commentary about uh, radical Islamic terror that had come to uh, spring up in, in parts of the Muslim world. What happened was that many uh, Middle Eastern countries, the governments of those countries, issues, issued fatwas against the, the writers or the uh, illustrators of those cartoons. And the Danish flag was actually the most burned flag in the year of 2006 and 2007. Also, Danish embassies in different parts of the Middle East were destroyed and vandalized as a result of these cartoons. It was a huge scandal. Do you think these drag queens would do that to Islam, would mock Islam? Meanwhile, it is in Judeo-Christian America that affords rights to homosexuals, to transgenders, and it is in the Islamist Middle East that would, as recently happened in the West Bank of Israel, behead people for being gay or for being trans. I'm referring to an awful tragedy that occurred a few months ago when there was a Palestinian boy in in the West Bank who actually sought refuge in Israel. He uh, was gay. And the Palestinians in the West Bank, some of the more militant Palestinians, went into Israel, kidnapped him, brought him back into the West Bank, beheaded him, and then paraded his head around on a stick throughout the West Bank in order to proclaim its anti-gay animus. But no, these drag queens are going to mock Catholics and Christians, and they would never dare to do the same for Islam. We have a call on this subject from Steve in West L.A., California. Hi, Steve. Thanks for calling in. Oh, hi. Great show. You know, um, I'm not calling people for people to boycott Major League Baseball. But here's uh, why, my belief. Um, for a few years ago, they decided that Georgia, who wanted common-sense voting integrity laws put in place, were Jim Crow racist. So since... Steve, are you there? I think I lost you. His phone dropped. Well, I, I think I can surmise what, what, what the point Steve was making when they moved the all-star game from Atlanta to where, Sean? Colorado. This is why I work with men. They know their, their, <laughs> their sports stuff. It's totally hypocritical. I mean, this is what happened with uh, companies like Adidas and Nike when South Carolina back in 2017 passed an anti-transgender restroom bill. They moved their facilities that they were going to build in South Carolina to guess where? Communist China that massacres and persecutes the Uyghurs, not to mention commits basic human rights violations against its own people. If you look around at our country, you know, Dennis makes this point a lot, and, and it's one of his best. The people who claim to care about certain issues that they espouse actually don't care about what they are proclaiming to care about at all. Those who talk about democracy, protecting democracy, supporting democracy, 
many of them, not all, are the same individuals who would support the persecution of Donald Trump. The FBI's raid on his Mar-a-Lago home that occurred last year, the fake Russia collusion hoax, the impeachments that were based on really phony charges of corruption and wrongdoing. These individuals who are pro-democracy support this persecution of Donald Trump. Many left-wing proponents of democracy also support criminalizing hate speech. It is the ultimate sick irony to use your right to free speech to try to suspend free speech for other people. Many groups that proclaim to be feminist or pro-women are the same groups that allow transgender women, i.e. biological men, to compete in women's sports. We saw this on full display with Leah Thomas, a U-Penn swimmer, competing against Riley Gaines, a swimmer from University of Tennessee, beating Miss Gaines because he is a biological male and, of course, was able to do so. And, of course, the individuals who say that they are pro-tolerance, this is what many trans rights groups say. They say, all we want is tolerance. We just want to be left alone. We just want to be able to exist These individuals who say that they are pro-tolerance are the same ones who are being so egregiously, vociferously intolerant of the religious. As Dennis points out, these individuals use their talking points in order to achieve power. The pro-democracy people largely don't care about democracy. The pro-women people largely don't care about women. The pro-tolerance people don't really care about tolerance. They care about using these situations in order to gain personally and professionally. The insidious situation in America right now is that not only do we have these woke, destructive ideas percolating, and maybe that could be a natural occurrence in a prosperous society like America, but we have an American elite that is co-opting, taking advantage of, and contriving these issues in order to benefit themselves. The major league league baseball commissioners, the owners of the L.A. Dodgers, should be opposing this transgender anti-Catholic group. But no, they're going along with it in order to maintain their good standing among other fellow left-wingers in power. We are shirking our responsibility as Americans. More in the next segment. I'm Julie Hartman. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman, the guest host today. I am the co-host of the Dennis and Julie podcast, as well as the host of Timeless with Julie Hartman. You can catch both on my YouTube channel, which is the Julie Hartman YouTube channel. You can also follow me at Julie R. Hartman. We are discussing this terrible event that is being hosted by the L.A. Dodgers. It is giving a Community Hero Award to an anti-Catholic drag queen group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Their motto is Go Forth and Sin Some More. During Easter, they had a uh, Jesus and Mary striptease show, which involved a drag queen stripping on a wooden cross. It is blasphemous. It is so disrespectful, and it goes against the principles of tolerance that many uh, transgender groups claim to espouse. I I mentioned when I first was reporting on this story, is there any area of life that can be untouched by this wokeism? Any area. 
We see it infecting our schools. We see it infecting our military, our FBI, CIA, presidency, our newspapers, our television shows. And now it is coming to sports. Sports was and has been that that one arena of American life that has usually been supporting merit. You know, there aren't any affirmative action cases or policies in sports. They don't have a quota for how many people of a certain race or of a certain gender identity they should take in. The one criteria is, are you good at the sport? And Americans, I think, flock to that because they are so desperate to see one area of life where meritocracy reigns supreme. Now, of course, at least as of now, that is still happening. But when we see the L.A. Dodgers support this horrible drag queen group, it it makes us all feel like this wokeism is everywhere. And it's even infiltrating the one area that we thought was, was away from it. Do you all remember in 2020 when the NBA players wore jerseys that had equality, Black Lives Matter, all of those slogans stitched to the back of the jerseys? Those jerseys were being made and stitched in communist China in labor factories where people were being treated horribly. Can you imagine the average Chinese laborer stitching equality on an NBA jersey that they're going to send to the United States, which proclaims, in which people proclaim uh, that it is a horribly systemically racist society. Can you imagine that person in communist China doing that work in order to send it to the United States? It's sick. As Dennis says, everything the left touches, it ruins. We're seeing that here with the Dodgers. Jim from Rockford, Illinois. Hi, Jim. Thanks for calling in. I'm just curious, will the uh, Catholics be able to reciprocate and have their own event in July? What do you mean, when, what goes on in July? Well, my point is, this event you were talking about is happening in June. Oh, I see. Where the drag queen hour is going to prosecute, you know, make fun of the Catholic faith. So is turnabout fair play? I think we know the answer to that, but fair is fair, right? So why wouldn't the Catholics be able to get to hold an event of their own as a response to this. But again, we're talking about something so outrageous. We're talking about California. Right. So we know the answer to that. Yes, we do. You know, the thing that I can't understand, Jim, thank you for your call, is <laughs> the, these Major League Baseball players are supposedly these macho men. Why aren't they standing up to this? Why aren't the, the, the players and also the owners of MLB standing up? It's really a sick thing. It goes back to what I was saying earlier, that there is an American elite that is trying to take advantage of this or at least be complicit in the damage that is happening to our country because they want to preserve their status. As the uh, Catholic League president, Bill Donahue, wrote in the letter, in 1947, the Brooklyn Dodgers made history by naming Jackie Robinson to its roster. You know, we've seen in the past sports teams protest for... Uh, or, or against racial discrimination on their teams. We have seen sports teams take a principled stance on some issues. And to observe the cowardice that is plaguing these stars, these sports stars in 2023, in the face of another really corrupt, awful situation, it's very sad to behold. 
I want to take a call, Joe, in Redondo Beach, though. We only have 30 seconds. So, Joe, hold on for a moment. I'll take you in the next segment. And then we're going to talk about how automakers are investing in minerals for electric vehicles. We'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. You came along and everything started into hum. Julie Hartman here. It is the third hour of the Dennis Prego Prego. <laughs> Guess that's his new name, the Dennis Prego Show. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. Those of you who have listened to me before know that every time that I guest host, there are two things that you can count on. Number one, Billy Joel being played at least once during the guest hosting time. Shanzi played that in the first hour. And number two, that I will devote an entire hour towards a subject pertaining to history. And today, we are going to be talking about... Let's say China. 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 You go over to China. 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 You take China. 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 I love them. China. 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 I have to have my China. China. China because China. 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 Yes, indeed. We are talking about China today. Although President Biden said recently in his commencement address to Howard University that white supremacy is the number one threat to the United States, I would venture to say that China is actually the number one threat to the United States. Let's look at TikTok. TikTok has 120 million American users. Its parent company, ByteDance, is a CCP-backed enterprise. They track users' personal and financial data. They track their direct messaging, their keyboard patterns, which means everything you type. It is a clandestine, eerily brilliant way of the Chinese Communist Party to spy on American citizens. How about the fentanyl crisis that we see here in the United States? Fentanyl is the number one cause of death for Americans aged 18 to 45. An amount the size of a grain of sand can kill you. It is 50 times stronger than cocaine, 100 times stronger than heroin. Where does that fentanyl come from? It actually originates in China. China manufactures the fentanyl. They sell it to Mexican and other Latin American drug cartels, which funnel it across our southern border, which is creating this horrible overdose crisis in the United States, not to mention wreaking enormous social and economic havoc. Shall I continue? China has also brought our adversaries closer together, most recently Saudi Arabia and Iran. Saudi Arabia is a Sunni country. Iran is a Shia country. For the past decade, they have been bitter enemies. The president of Saudi Arabia actually called the president of Iran, quote, close to Hitler in terms of his level of evil. So they have really not liked each other. And now China has facilitated their diplomatic ties. They are exchanging ambassadors and agreeing to thaw relations. 
There are so many other examples of this. China has also tried to assert itself in the middle of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, painting itself as the negotiator of the peace deal, which replaces the United States as negotiators of peace deals. Throughout our history, and especially over the past few decades, whether it's regard to with regard, excuse me, to Yugoslavia or to peace deals between Israel and surrounding Arab nations, we have always been the world power that brokers those agreements. And now China is replacing us. The Pentagon also announced recently, God, I'm not pronouncing words well this segment, Praga Pentagon. The Pentagon announced recently, just a few weeks ago, that China has surpassed the United States in their number of intercontinental ballistic missiles. Additionally, Xi Jinping is stepping up the ante as far as his rhetoric with regard to Taiwan. China views the island of Taiwan as rightfully part of the the Chinese motherland, and it appears, according to their uh, naval and aerial drills, that they may soon consider invading. So that is just to say that China poses a grave threat to the United States and also to the geopolitical balancing of our world. And today I want to talk about the miraculous, remarkable transformation that China has made over the past 60 years. 60 years ago, when Mao Zedong was president of China, China was a backward agrarian isolated country that U.S. officials laughed at. Mao Zedong purposefully, that's right, purposefully tried to cripple China economically in order to create a permanent socialist revolution in the countryside. Now, 60 years later, China is an economic powerhouse. It is the second biggest uh, it has, I should say, the second biggest economy in the world. They are industrializing their own country as well as going to other countries and industrializing those nations. The list includes Colombia, Hungary, Saudi Arabia, Singapore. China's going all around the world and being this great industrial economic powerhouse. So the question I want to ask this hour is how did China do it? How in 60 years did they turn in? from this laughingstock into a geopolitical powerhouse. And as China has been on the ascent over the past six decades, I regrettably argue that the United States has been on a descent. We were once the big bad world power, and now we are focusing on pronouns, on transgenderism, critical race theory, and white supremacy. One of the other, I should actually mention two other inversions that have characterized Chinese history. The main one, of course, is their economic turnaround. But if you look back 200 years ago, the West, i.e. the British, were selling this horrible overdose-inducing drug that wreaked a lot of social and economic havoc on China. That, of course, is opium. Now, 200 years later, it switched China is the one selling an overdose-inducing, horribly deleterious drug to the West. That has totally switched. Another example is 200 years ago, the West, i.e. the United States, Britain, France, other Western powers, were going to the coast of China and setting up port cities and getting most favored nations' trading status in order to exploit the Chinese economy. That has also reversed. 
200 years later, i.e. right now, China, as I just argued, is the one going around the world and being the imperial industrial power. So it's just, it really goes along with what Mark Twain says, history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. That is certainly true with China. Let's start, though, in the 1950s. In 1949, the Chinese Communist Party prevailed in a civil war against the Nationalist Party of China, sending Chiang Kai-shek, who was the leader of the GMD, or the Nationalist Party, to Taiwan, where he set up his own country. The CCP prevailed in 1949, and in the 1950s, they underwent this campaign to transform China into a thoroughly communist country. The main way that Mao Zedong did this was in 1958 with the Great Leap Forward. Now, prior to 1958, Mao Zedong initiated the first five-year plan, which was a failed economic plan to turn China into a communist country. He realized that that had been a failure. So in 1958, he enacted this Great Leap Forward in order to enact truly radical revolutionary transformations. The main thing that Chairman Mao did, as I indicated earlier, is that he purposefully economically crippled China. During the first five-year plan, he relied on heavy industry and technology from the Soviet Union. But in the Great Leap Forward, he said, I want both farmers and industrial workers to use primitive technology so that they can continue to work, so that we can perpetuate this permanent socialist revolution in the countryside. So what we saw here was this emphasis on man over machine. Instead of using technologically advanced furnaces to create everyday industrial items, Mao Zedong transitioned Chinese citizens to using backyard furnaces, which were these shanty furnaces literally in one's backyard. And what happened was that Chinese citizens were producing these economic industrial products such as pots and pans, but they were defunct. They couldn't work. They had cracks in them and they would break. The uh, also agricultural output of China was extremely low because they didn't allow plows or other forms of technology. In the next segment, I will talk about the famine, the continued deterioration of the Chinese economy, and how miraculously after that they learned from their mistakes and turned it all around. I'm Julie Hartman. We'll be back. Like it here. The best is yet. Come and babe, won't it be fine? Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman. We are doing a history hour on China. The question I am asking and attempting to answer is how did China in 60 years go from being a backward, isolated agrarian economy to turning into an economic and political powerhouse that it is today. In the last segment, I was talking about Mao Zedong's great leap forward. After the Chinese Communist Party came to power after winning the Civil War in 1949, Chairman Mao tried to transform China into a thoroughly communist country. 
During the Great Leap Forward of 1958 to 1962, Mao Zedong purposefully crippled the Chinese economy to keep a permanent socialist, socialist excuse me, revolution going in the countryside. He made industrial workers use backyard furnaces, these shanty furnaces, which would produce defunct industrial items like pots and pans. He would make agrarian workers, farmers work all day with primitive technological and farming equipment. And what happened, unsurprisingly, but nevertheless tragically, is that in 1959, there was a terrible famine. In fact, it is the largest famine recorded ever in history. 45 million people died of starvation. The PRC, or the People's Republic of China, says that the number is 15 million, but, but many speculate it was much higher. Some even say it was as many as 60 million. The PRC blames this famine on bad weather that they said produced a lower crop yield during 1959. But really, it was because of this purposeful, technological, and economic crippling by Mao Zedong. People weren't allowed to use equipment that would help them produce an economic output, so there was a shortage as far as crop yield. And another problem that plagued Chinese citizens was a lower productivity rate. During the Great Leap Forward, these citizens were working all day. They lived in communes where the Chinese Communist Party took care of their every need besides, of course, their work. Children were put in communal nurseries. These weren't like daycare programs. This was basically the, the state raising Chinese workers' children so that they could go work all day. When Chinese workers would be able to take a break from their industrial or agrarian responsibilities, they would, they would congregate in shared dining halls instead of going home to their houses and having a lunch or dinner with their families. One of the bedrocks of uh, tyranny is the state taking away parental authority, and we're seeing that here in the United States. There was this awful famine killed 45 million people in China that ended the Great Leap Forward. So now we're in the beginning of the 1960s. Mao realizes that his economic efforts led to catastrophe, and he's trying to figure out how he can solidify and maintain his power and his popularity as the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. So what he does, and this was sort of the final act of the primitive or backward years, if you will, of, the, the, uh, of Chinese society, is that he initiated the Cultural Revolution, which lasted from 1966 to 1976. Instead of recognizing that his Great Leap Forward was a catastrophic mistake that led to this famine, he decided to double down and say that the reason why the Great Leap Forward failed is that because it was because, and this is a quote from Mao Zedong, there were still right-wing capitalists who infiltrated the party and precluded Chinese workers from fully embracing socialism. So during the Cultural Revolution, Mao launched a brutal campaign to root out those supposed right-wing capitalists in the Chinese Communist Party. People were sent to re-education camps. High members of government were executed or otherwise persecuted. Actually, Deng Xiaoping, who is the subsequent leader of China, was one of the victims of the Cultural Revolution, as was his son, who was thrown out of a window. 
He actually was a quadriplegic for the rest of his life because he was abused by the Chinese Communist Party during the Cultural Revolution. Books were burned in public. And Mao Zedong said that they were trying to get rid of four olds. And by the way, this has an eerie resemblance to the United States. Of course, we're not seeing a cultural revolution-like level of persecution. But this following campaign to root out the four olds is not dissimilar to what's going on in a lot of American public schools. Mao Zedong said that Chinese citizens had to get rid of old customs, old habits, old thinking, and old culture. Just like the Great Leap Forward, this cultural revolution of 1966 to 1976 was a disaster. It led to many deaths, obviously a lot of persecution, and great unrest among the Chinese populace. When Mao Zedong died in 1976, it was sort of an inflection point in the history of China. Either they were going to recognize some of the mistakes that happened under Chairman Mao, or they risked a revolution, Chinese citizens rising up against the power of the party. So what happened was the Chinese Communist Party sought a middle ground solution by persecuting the Gang of Four. This is the Gang of Four trial that happened in 1980. The Gang of Four were four bureaucrats, four leaders of the Chinese Communist Party under Chairman Mao. Three of them were men. One of them was actually Mao Zedong's third wife. And what the CCP did is that they put these four Maoist bureaucrats on trial, sentenced them to life in prison in order to serve as a symbolic punishment of Chairman Mao without fully condemning Mao. Because Mao had this cult-like reputation. He was a cult-like figure in China. People had uh, portraits of Chairman Mao in their homes. There were portraits of Chairman Mao on every street in China, people viewed him as a father or a grandfather figure. And it really would have crippled the infrastructure of the Chinese Communist Party ideologically if they had totally condemned the actions of Chairman Mao. So by persecuting and putting on trial these gang of four, it was a way of throwing a bone to the Chinese citizens saying, we acknowledge that some bad things happened, but still we are going to maintain uh, our, our respect for Chairman Mao and thus keeping the Chinese Communist Party together. China really turned around in this next era, which I will get to in this next segment, when Deng Xiaoping came into power. The Gang of Four trial was a turning point. It was the CCP saying we are moving away from some of the tactics of the past into a new economic and political era. This is the era that set the groundwork for the big, bad China that we see today. More coming soon. I'm Julie Hartman. This is the China History Hour of The Dennis Prager Show. Julie Hartman here. It is a China History Hour. How did China go from being a backward agrarian country 60 years ago to being an economic and political powerhouse today? 18 Prager 776-1877-243-776 if you have a question or a comment about this China analysis that I am giving, feel free to call in 18772433776. Mao Zedong's rule of China was characterized by economic and political catastrophe. 
His great leap forward, which sought to create a permanent socialist revolution in the countryside, led to a famine which killed 45 million people. His cultural revolution, in which subversive books were burned, right-wing capitalists were thrown into re-education camps or executed, led to further disaster. So in the 1970s, when Mao died, Deng Xiaoping came into power. Deng Xiaoping was actually a member of the Chinese Communist Party. He was a victim of the Cultural Revolution. He was seen by Mao as a moderate. He was by no means an American capitalist. He was communist in many ways, but by Mao's standards, he was seen as a moderate. He initiated some crucial economic and political reforms that put China on the path that it has so successfully taken advantage of today. It probably would have been better in the long run for the United States had Deng Xiaoping not been the leader of the CCP and of China, but it was certainly good for China itself. There are two main economic reforms that Deng Xiaoping initiated that turned China around. The first is the household responsibility system. Under Mao Zedong, the CCP had very high quotas that farmers, for instance, had to meet in sending their crop yield to the government. What Deng Xiaoping did is that he decriminalized small-scale capitalism. He lowered these government quotas for farmers, and then he said to them, once you meet the quota, the rest of what you grow can be yours. You can sell it on a private market and make a profit. So this allowed small-scale capitalism, which created social mobility. It allowed people to be more economically prosperous. And it also reintroduced to people the ideas that are fundamental to free market capitalism, that the harder you work, the more innovative you are, the more money you can make. This was crucial in getting people away from the previous communist socialist system. So first there was the household responsibility system. The second main economic reform initiated by Deng Xiaoping was creating what's called special economic zones on the coast of China. These were trade cities, trade ports, in which foreign powers could come and invest in China and trade with China. This was a huge turnaround from what happened under Chairman Mao. A bedrock of Maoism was anti-foreign animus. The Chinese, under the previous dynasty, the Qing dynasty, were relentlessly taken advantage of by foreign, primarily Western powers, who, as I said, enjoyed special trading status within China. They exploited China relentlessly. So Mao Zedong was totally uprooting any foreign investment in foreign relations within communist China. Deng Xiaoping smartly, shrewdly realized that in order for China to grow, they needed to do business with foreigners. So they set up these special economic zones, which, which were subject to special or different economic rules or regulations in the rest of China, i.e. those port cities were allowed to engage in free market capitalism. And all of a sudden, these American and British and French companies started coming in again. 
Apple has been one of the biggest industrializers of China. They have brought many of their factories and workers into China. In recent weeks, this is reversed. China has pulled its factories out of China as the Communist Party encroaches more on their businesses. But this move by Deng Xiaoping to allow foreign investment very quickly turned China into a backward laughingstock of the United States to a formidable economic competitor. More in the next segment on China's remarkable transformation. I'm Julie Hartman. What a little love could mean. Oh. We are doing a U.S.-China history hour. How did China come to be this formidable power that rivals the United States today? I've been talking about the way that Deng Xiaoping turned the country around from Mao's disastrous reign. Mao tried to create a permanent socialist revolution of the countryside. It led to famine, widespread death, and persecution. Deng Xiaoping decriminalized small-scale capitalism in the countryside. He allowed for foreign investment in some special economic zones on the coast, which rapidly industrialized China. And I'll give you two other things that China did that were really smart. I have long affirmed, both on this show and on my show, Timeless, that China has an eerily brilliant strategy because they are shrewd. They pursue a sort of backdoor way of undermining the United States and rising to power. The prime example of that is the way that they have taken from and indeed stolen from U.S. businesses and intellectual property. China under Deng Xiaoping, this was during the time of the Cold War, when, they were, when the Soviet Union spent, uh, sent excuse me, Russian spies to the United States to spy on our government. Of, co- of course, the Rosenbergs are examples of that, people like Alger Hiss. What China did, though, was much more strategically smart. Instead of getting a one-off or two-off spy success, they, spent, they sent hundreds of thousands of spies, but these spies were in the form of students at American universities, workers in American factories and American businesses. And these students and workers would functionally spy on the United States and then send the secrets back to communist China. Did you know that we, the United States, are the most generous country as far as foreign visas given to China? Why don't you tell this to left-wingers who say that America is a xenophobic, systemically racist place? According to ICE data from the year 2020, we, the United States, awarded more than 382,000 foreign visas to Chinese students. That is twice the number of the second-place country, India, which has about 200,000 foreign visas that they gave to China during the year of 2020. China has taken advantage of this. They have sent their people over to the United States to get a STEM education, to get trained in business. And then those individuals go back to the United States or excuse me, go back to China and give U.S. secrets. Also, these individuals steal intellectual property, not all of them, but but many steal intellectual property from the United States. Congress estimates that we, the United States, 
lose about $2 billion a year in intellectual property theft from China alone. That's one of their brilliant clandestine strategies. Another one undertaken by Deng Xiaoping and continued by leaders of the Communist Party, including the president right now, Xi Jinping. China was very smart to not get involved in foreign entanglements that plagued the United States and the Soviet Union in the latter half of the 20th century. China watched us get into skirmishes in Vietnam and Cambodia, and then subsequently in the beginning of the 21st century in Iraq and Afghanistan. They watched the Soviet Union get involved in Cuba and try to support these communist uprisings in Latin America and invade Afghanistan and try to create a communist country there. China watched this. They saw how it worked out for the United States and the Soviet Union, and they said, we're not going to do that. After the Korean War, since the end of the Korean War, China has gotten involved in two border skirmishes, one in 1962 and one in 2020 with neighboring India. Besides that, actually besides a brief, brief invasion of Vietnam in order to support the, the, um, their allies in Cambodia, the Chinese's allies in Com Cambodia because Vietnam invaded Cambodia, with the exception of that, China has not gotten into a single foreign entanglement. They have been smart they have not deployed their resources and their military personnel unnecessarily. They have guarded those assets shrewdly. Instead, what they have done is that they have used other countries as being an accomplice in their own demise. Instead of outright invading a place like the United States, they have undermined us through fentanyl. They have undermined us through TikTok. Instead of taking advantage overtly, economically and politically of other countries, China has set up factories and made industrial deals with places like Iran and Saudi Arabia and Hungary. Did you know that China right now is actually building a railway line in Tehran? They're also building a railway, railway line in Bogota, which is the capital of Colombia. They are doing this not out of the goodness of their heart because they just want to help out these countries. They are doing this out to buy off those countries. An example was when a second Chinese spy balloon traversed over Latin America, the first one traversed over the United States, it went right over Colombian airspace. And the president of Colombia, Gustavo Petro, did not condemn China at all. He is bought off by China. This has been a part of the shrewd, clandestine backdoor strategy. Undermine the foreigners by making friends of them. We will wrap this up, the China History Hour, in the final segment of this show. It's the Dennis Prager Show. I'm Julie Hartman. Listen to the fear that's gone. It is the final segment of the final hour of the Dennis Prager Show today, May 17th. It has been a joy to be with you. I'm Julie Hartman. We're wrapping up the History Hour on China. I have credited Deng Xiaoping for enacting the economic and political reforms that set China on the trajectory to where it is today, an economic and political powerhouse, one of the biggest threats to the United States. China, slowly and steadily, but also not very slowly because it just happened in 60 years, transformed itself from being economically and politically backward to being a formidable opponent. I argued in the last segment, that one of the things that China does is that it makes its adversaries accomplices in their own demise. They do this by 
industrializing in foreign nations such as Iran, Colombia, Hungary, Saudi Arabia, building railway lines, building new airports in order to undermine those countries, to buy them off politically, so that when China does something, like perhaps invade Taiwan, those countries have no business of standing up to China because China has helped them out so much. It is sad to say, but the United States is one of those countries that has been an accomplice in its own demise at the hands of China. We willingly download TikTok, which has a parent company, which is owned by the CCP, and the CCP uses it to spy on American citizens, gather their personal and financial data. We willingly keep our border open, or in other words, we don't protect our border to allow the fentanyl to come through, which is being manufactured in China, sent to the Mexican drug cartels and pushed across our border. We let that happen. We let China undermine us in that way. And crucially, we deny the threat that China poses to us. We won't even say overtly, now I shouldn't say all of we in, in the United States, certainly Republicans do this, many Democrats such as our own president are afraid to do this. They will not acknowledge all that China is doing to undermine us. Let's hear what our very own president said about the threat posed by China to the United States. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean, in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. I mean, I, you know, they're not bad folks, folks, but guess what? They're not a they're, they're not, not, they're competition for us. Given what has come out in the past few days about the Biden family shell companies, where Chinese nationals paid the Biden family millions of dollars. You can't help but wonder if that is what impelled President Biden to say that statement, dismissing the threat that China poses to us. Maybe China put him up to that. It's a sad thing to contemplate. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for my crew at Salem for being remarkable help to me today. I am the co-host of the Dennis and Julie podcast, host of Timeless with Julie Hartman. You can follow me at Julie R. Hartman. Take care. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the daily Dennis Prager podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at Pragertopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.